Today, as uh, we gather here, we talked last week about Jesus being on mission. Today, we're going to look at the church on mission. And, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And while you're turning there, let me just go ahead and, and kind of, there's a theme that's going to run through this. As I was looking at Acts 8, 1 through 4, I I immediately began to think about my Granny Jenkins. Now, some of y'all have heard me talk about Granny Jenkins. Granny Jenkins is my great-grandmother. Uh, I had the privilege of knowing uh, two of my great-grandparents, uh, three of my great-grandparents, well, four of my great-grandparents, uh, and my children had the privilege of, of knowing Granny Jenkins and Granny Hicks, and that would be their great-great-grandparents. Um, and that, that's a blessing in and of itself. But Granny Jenkins is one of my heroes and has been one of my heroes for as long as I've been alive. Uh, uh, Granny Jenkins um, uh, didn't hold any degree. She didn't have a high education. She didn't have a business that she had to, uh, uh, that uh, business profession that she held on to. She was a simple country girl. And when I say country girl, I mean she's a country girl. Um, she was born in Blount County. Tennessee, which is, uh, Blount County is the, the, the hillbilly side of Tennessee. It's in the mountains of East Tennessee. Part of her family uh, uh, was uh, actually residents of, of Cades Cove, if you've ever been there, Uncle Roy Tipton's house in Cades Cove. That's my kinfolk. That's Granny Jenkins' family, the, the Tiptons. And, and, and that, that's her that's her root. She was raised in the hills and the hollers of East Tennessee, and that means she was a hillbilly. I mean straight up hillbilly. I'm not talking about pretend hillbilly. I'm not talking about the hillbilly that you see on TV. I mean she was a straight up hillbilly. And she was a, a, a very young girl when she got married. I haven't, I didn't really ask the age, but if you do some of the math, you realize that she probably got married uh, when she was younger than my youngest daughter. And, that's when she, and that wasn't a bad thing back then. That was a normal thing back then. But uh, my youngest daughter is 16. And she was probably younger than that. And Granny Jenkins was um, a small little lady. I mean, uh, she... If you stretched her at her highest height, she would be, uh, it'd be hard for her to hit 4'9". You know, I mean, she, she's just a small, diminutive little woman. And yet she displayed such courage for as long as I knew her. And, 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 and when I say courage, I'm not saying that she had all the answers to all of life's riddles. And when I say courage, I'm not saying that she didn't have fears that, that, that confronted her. And when I say courage, I'm not saying that she didn't have insecurities because she had deep insecurities that she lived with. And she had great fears that she struggled with. And, and she had to face those fears because really courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of insecurity. Courage is pressing on in the face of your fears. Courage is pressing on in the face of in your insecurities. And, and that's who Granny Jenkins was. 
for me and in my life. She had courage, but, but it wasn't just a, a courage to live life the way she wanted, but rather, as I saw Granny Jenkins, it was a courage to live life every single day to make God smile. I mean, one of the things about Granny Jenkins is that she would, she would give herself day after day, moment after moment, to bring pleasure to God. She, she didn't live her life merely to satisfy some desires that she had for herself, but I always saw her sacrificially giving herself for God's pleasure, and, and, and that's how she lived her life. Now, she faced all kinds of turmoil in her life. She experienced great, pro, great poverty, although she probably wouldn't have called it that back in that day, she lived in a day and a time where nobody really had a lot. Most people lived on store credit from crop to crop, trying to make ends meet as best they knew how. Most people didn't have a lot. And then when the Great Depression hit, things got a lot worse. The Great Depression hit, and, and you really were struggling to find a meal for the day, especially for your family. And by that time, Granny Jenkins had, uh, had three daughters, and those three daughters were trying to navigate the depression as well. And so my poppy, Granny Jenkins' husband, poppy, um, poppy, poppy discovered that there was a new deal in town, that Roosevelt, the president, decided that he would inaugurate this new deal to overwhelm the Great Depression and and one of the ways that that worked in East Tennessee was uh, an organization called the Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA. And there were jobs to be had with the TVA, government jobs, but, but, but Poppy, he was a carpenter by trade, and so he, he found a job with the TVA, and he began to build dams along the Tennessee Valley, along the, the Tennessee River. And he had a hand in many of the dams that you would find on the uh, southern part of Tennessee, Alabama border, and, and other places. And, 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 and so that, that provided an income for Granny Jenkins and, 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 and Poppy. And, but, but here's the thing. They had to leave Blount County, Tennessee. Uh, in order for Poppy to get the job, he needed to move into the big city of South Knoxville. And so they moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, and they, they lived on a a little plot of land, and, and, and it was a little bitty house. By the way, the house didn't change in, in, in the 30-plus uh, years that, that I visited, 40 years that I visited as a, as a grandson and a great-grandson. That, that house never changed, and, and, and they lived in, in the, not the best part of town. They lived in Vestal, in South Knoxville. Vestal's never, known as, never been known as an up-and-coming community of South Knoxville. It was always sort of the wrong side of the tracks, and, and that's where Granny Jenkins and, and Poppy, that's where they raised their family, and, and when their daughters got married, their, their, their daughters lived on that same plot of land. They, uh, one daughter lived on the right-hand side within 50 feet of Granny Jenkins' house. The other lived on the left-hand side, 50 feet from Granny Jenkins' house, and one of them lived 50 feet behind Granny Jenkins' house. They all lived on that same plot of land, and that's where my dad and his brother were, were born and, and where they were raised. And, and as a young child, uh, as, as I began to 
visit my Granny Jenkins. That's where I went. And, and what I came to realize is, even as a young boy, that, that Granny Jenkins made a difference in that community. Granny Jenkins made, had an impact in, in Vestal. She was a member of the Galen Heights Baptist Church. And, 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 and even though probably the best memories I have of Granny Jenkins and Poppy was, would be visiting their house and them giving us moon pies and RC colas. There was one stark memory that, that, that pierced my memory. Uh, even I couldn't have been four or five years old, but I remember going to church with Granny Jenkins and Poppy, and we went to, we went to the Galen Heights Baptist Church, and I sat there, and, and I don't know what it was that, 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 that struck the chord in Granny Jenkins, but I got to tell you, Granny Jenkins, Granny Jenkins was, um, she, was she wasn't a, uh, in a Baptist fashion, she would have been, never been a deacon of the church or an elder of the church, but boy, she could preach. And she was raised uh, in, 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 a, in a way that, that when the Spirit of God got hold of her, she acted on what the Spirit of God told her to do. And so uh, I remember sitting on that pew in Galen Heights Baptist Church, and, 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 and the Spirit of God began to speak to Granny Jenkins, and Granny Jenkins got up in the middle of the service, and the preacher was preaching. And the reason I remember is because I was asleep, <laughs> like some of y'all are apt to do when the preacher's preaching. The preacher's preaching, and right in the middle of it, Granny Jenkins stood up, and she began to shout. Now, when I say shout, I mean shout. She wasn't some dignified, praise Jesus. It wasn't a golf clap. It was a get down and bad to your bone, praise God for what he's doing. Now, I don't know... I don't know exactly what she was praising Jesus for, but I know, I know that the object of her praise was the living God. And she got all eat up with the Spirit of God, and she began to speak, and she began to praise, and it was amazing. It was powerful. It was life-altering for me. In fact, I, I know it's a little undignified for a blue blood church like we're used to. But let me tell you something, even as a blue blood Baptist, we could use a little bit more shouting when God gets hold of us. And I'm surprised some of y'all don't do it more. Shouting is different than talking. All right. So anyway, So as we, as we look at Granny Jenkins' life, I, I, I began to realize that, that it seemed to me like she didn't care what anybody else had to say. It seemed to me that she was unconcerned about um, how people viewed her, but I was wrong. You see, deep down inside of her, she had a deep insecurity. Deep down inside of her, she did care what people thought. But she cared more about what God thought. And maybe, just maybe, that's what gave her the courage to navigate through the difficult days of her life, to navigate through the losses that she experienced, to navigate through the, the, the poverty that, that plagued her, to, get, to navigate through the loss of her love, Poppy, even when she was still a young lady. 
Granny Jenkins lived till she was 94. And she changed the world till the day she died. As we look at the mission of the church, last week we saw how Jesus leads us to be on mission. And if you remember, I asked you, uh, how many of your conversations point people to Jesus? It got me to thinking about Granny Jenkins because there was never a conversation that she had with anybody, saved and unsaved, church going, non-church going. Uh, there were some people that eventually moved on, 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 on her street uh, that uh, lived down the street and, and uh, they liked rap music. She called it that rap music. She was probably 92 or 93 at that point in time, and, and they loved that rap music. But, you know, that didn't stop Granny. She didn't understand it. She didn't know what in the world it was. All she knew is that she needed to talk to them and ask them the question, do you know my Jesus? The postman comes up and, 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 and puts posts in the mail, and, and she'll ask her, do you know my Jesus? The FedEx guy comes along, do you know my Jesus? She'll sit on the front porch and she'll dip Garrett Sweet Snuff. And she dipped Garrett Sweet Snuff till the day she died. And she would call me and ask me to come along and, and partake of the joy every now and then. But, but she'd sit on that front porch dipping Garrett Sweet Snuff, spitting in her little coffee can. And people would come by, uh, walking by or driving by in the on a bicycle, and she would call out to him. She asked him to come up to the porch so she could ask him, do you know my Jesus? That's my Granny Jenkins. She was put in the hospital several times. She outlived one pacemaker, I believe, and had to get another one. She put in the hospital, and I called my nanny, and I said, Nanny, how's Granny Jenkins doing? And, and she said, Granny Jenkins is just fine. Said, how, how all, the procedures, all the procedures are fine. I said, well, okay, great, great. And, he, and, and Nanny, my, my grandmother, she said, and every doctor that's come in that room, every nurse, every attendant, if they're coming in to pick up the trash, if they're coming to take away a tray, whoever walks by that room, Granny's calling out to them and asking them the question, do you know my Jesus? Something gave her the courage to live the mission. I think part of it is the fact that she understood that that was her job. Just as it's our job to live this mission. You see, the church lives to help those who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. That's the record of the church in Acts. It's not to make you feel good. That, that's not the existence of the church. It's not to make us feel good. The existence of the church, we don't live to get, make each other smarter. We don't live to, 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 to make each other, uh, 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 you know, happy. That may be a good byproduct, but that's not why we live. We live to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And that mission is to help people who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. And the good news is, Granny Jenkins taught me that we can live that mission till the day we die. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's not easy. Look, I understand. 
It's not easy. It wasn't easy for the first church. See, the first church, they're, they're going through the, the, the growing pains of, of a church that's living the mission in Jerusalem. Man, they're exploding. But as they explode, uh, the, the things begin to get a little challenging for them. The, the religious leaders don't like this movement that's happened where thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem start following after Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 4, if you remember Acts chapter 4, the religious leaders there in Jerusalem told the church leaders, don't talk about Jesus anymore or else. In Acts chapter 5, because Peter and John and the church continued to talk about Jesus, in Acts chapter 5, the religious leaders gave them the or else. They started uh, uh, punishing them physically and beating them. Then in Acts chapter 6, there's a little bit of division in the church because of the haves and the have-nots, and so they create the deacon body, and these deacons start sharing Jesus in Jerusalem. And a guy named Stephen, who was a deacon in Acts chapter 7, he begins to preach about Jesus in the open square, asking people, do you know my Jesus? And that made the religious leaders mad, and so they killed him. Now, in Acts chapter 8, beginning of verse 1, we see that Saul, who later becomes Paul and writes about half the New Testament, Saul consented to the death of Stephen. And a great persecution arose for the church in Jerusalem, so that the church was scattered through Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. They hung out there. The apostles didn't leave Jerusalem, but the church was scattered. Verse 4, it says that, or verse 3, it says that uh, Paul made great havoc with the church, arresting people, dragging them out of their homes, putting them in jail. And then verse 4, it says that the church was scattered and, and they went everywhere preaching the word telling the good news of Jesus Christ, asking the question, do you know my Jesus? Guys, I know it's not easy. I really do. I understand it is not easy for us to live this mission, to help those who are far from God find life in Jesus. I understand it's not easy. But God didn't call us to easy. He called us to honor him. See, this is our job. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, your heart beats to honor God. That's, that's how your heart beats. That's what your desire is. If you have no desire to honor God, then you need to really evaluate whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. You get what I'm saying? If you don't care about honoring God, if you only care about honoring yourself, you don't care about honoring God, you really need to evaluate, am I a follower of Jesus? I don't mean that ugly. I'm just being honest with you. I'm trying to be your pastor, tell you truth. Okay, So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a desire to honor God, and, and we honor God the same way Jesus did. We honor God by reaching people, helping those who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. You see, apart from Jesus, there is no life. Apart from Jesus, we're just dead people walking around. Apart from Jesus, we are hopeless and, and living without life or hope in this world. Without Jesus, we are lost. I mean lost. And alone, without Jesus, we are empty with no hope for satisfaction. We need Jesus. And everybody around us that doesn't know Jesus, guess what? They need Jesus. And, 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 and we have the privilege 
of helping those who are far from God find life in Jesus. But there is a distance between the cynicism of those people and the truth of Christ. There's this big distance between their cynicism and the truth. So how do we bridge that distance? How do we help people who are far from God see Jesus as their only way? Now, I'm not going to give you a, 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 just a, a, a final answer to all that because that, that, that's learned as you live. And that's learned as you talk to people. And that's learned as you have conversations with individuals who are far from God. But there are some things we know. And the first thing we learn from the first church, and, and the thing that we learn is, is that, that obstacles are opportunities for us. Adversity invites victory. You see, what happens to us is, is we, we think that because there's an obstacle for us in sharing Jesus with somebody else, that obstacle is insurmountable. But what we see in the first church is that an obstacle really is a push for a greater opportunity. Granny Jenkins didn't have a lot. Didn't, didn't, again, didn't have an education. Was a little bit, little bit skeptical about people who did have educations. I mean, it's a culture in which she lived. I mean, she warned my dad not to get... Um, a seminary degree, get a doctorate degree. He's a preacher, and so they, they warm, she warned my dad and said, don't let them ruin you. When, when I got my Ph.D., she said the same thing to me. Now, Eric, don't let them ruin you. Don't let them ruin you. <laughs> Miss my Granny Jenkins, got to tell you. She didn't have an education. She was skeptical about that. And, and, and so talking about Jesus, I mean, she, she didn't have all the intellectual resources that maybe a preacher dude might have. And, and, and so that might, that might say, well, that's an obstacle. She didn't care. You see, that obstacle became an opportunity. She would say, well, I don't know all these arguments you're talking about. Can I just ask you, do you know my Jesus? She would say, like, like the blind man of John 9, he said, I don't know what you want me to tell you. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see, and Jesus did it. You see what I'm saying? The obstacle became an opportunity. There was an obstacle, especially later in her life. I don't know if she ever drove a car. I never saw her drive a car in my lifetime. I don't know if she ever had a driver's license. So if she got anywhere, she went because her daughters took her, or her grandchildren took her. That's the only way she could get from point A to point B. And so, especially later in her life, she, she couldn't. It was, a, it was a battle to walk down the hall of her home. It was a battle to get out on the front porch. It was a, it, it was a, it was a struggle to go down steps. I mean, it's not like her life was easy. It wasn't like her physical abilities were, were okay. But she saw those physical limitations even those physical limitations, as an opportunity. So her physical limitation, she couldn't drive a car. Her grandchild, who was far from God, drove her to the grocery store so she could talk to her grandchild, who was far from God. If her grandchild, do you know my Jesus? The grandchild would have to walk around the grocery store with her while she talks to the different uh, stalkers of the groceries and the checker-outers of the groceries, and she would ask all the stalkers and the checker-outers, do you know my Jesus? 
She allowed the obstacle to become an opportunity when she was put in the hospital. That obstacle bound to a room, unable to leave, became an opportunity. Do you know my Jesus? We live in a day and time where so often we look at the obstacles and we say, that's the end of the story. The first church, they needed a push out of Jerusalem. Apparently, and the, the, the picture of the text is that great persecution, this, this havoc that was going on uh, with the first church, that, that was the obstacle. But the, the note that Luke is writing here in Acts chapter 8, it, it's not doom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all, doom, despair, and agony on me. Rather, it was, here is our opportunity to go to different places, to Judea and Samaria, like Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us. Jesus promised the disciples, he said to the disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. They had Jerusalem covered, but they were comfortable there. And so God gave them the push through persecution to scatter them throughout Judea and Samaria and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. The obstacle became the opportunity. We're here today as the church, and, 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 and we have obstacles. Uh, we, we have the expansion of the highway, and by the way, we're, we're thankful for the expansion of the highway. That's not bad. That's good. The expansion of the highway is something our community needs. It's something that, that I-64 corridor and 264 corridor, they need that. I'm, I'm happy about that. You should be happy about that, but it's an obstacle for us. It takes away 361 parking, paved parking spots. It, 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 it has a, a, constructs a flyover that comes within 100 feet of the corner of this sanctuary. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be changes. All those things are going to happen and are happening even now. It, it blocks two lanes of Newtown Road on a Sunday morning. Uh, there's going to be a day when they're going to block Center Drive um, because they got to pile in some stuff over here. And I mean, there are some things that we're going to have to deal with. There are obstacles, but they're not insurmountable. From day one, we've seen all of this expansion, not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity that God has given us as the church to scatter, to move to the seven cities of Hampton Roads and plant um, first Norfolk congregations in different neighborhoods so that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are far from God. The obstacle is our opportunity. Now, what about you? Oh, preacher, you just don't know where I work. People, they don't let me talk about Jesus. Preacher, you just don't know, don't know how hard it is for me to talk to somebody. You don't know my personality. I, I don't have to know your personality. I don't have to know your job to know that that obstacle, whether it's internal or external, that obstacle becomes an opportunity. The Spirit of God is not overwhelmed by your job, job uh, constraints. 
The Spirit of God gives you an opportunity to navigate through those job constraints. He's going to direct you exactly how you can do what you need to do to ask the question, do you know my Jesus? Stop living in the defeat. Start living in the victory. Adversity invites victory. Obstacles are opportunities. The second thing we learn from the church and, about, and from Granny Jenkins is that we need to connect with people everywhere we go. So the church, Acts 8-4, the church is scattered. That means that they don't hang around Jerusalem. They have to go to different places, just like we're going to do. As we 2017, we're going to plant a multi-site congregation uh, somewhere in the seven cities, and then... Um, uh, then we're going to plant another one, then we're going to plant another one, then we're going to continue to do what we do here every week. It's going to be exciting to see how many different communities and neighborhoods we have the opportunity to connect with people. But then there's more than just that organizational structure and more of that, that, than that vision and plan. It's you. It's me. Wherever we go, we need to connect with people and ask them, do you know my Jesus? The everywhere means everywhere. Everywhere a follower of Jesus planted their foot, that became their mission field. And the same thing's true for you, for me. Everywhere you plant your feet, that's the mission field that God has given you. For you to ask the question, have you met my Jesus? Do you know him? There are people that you encounter every single day. Have you ever asked them, do you know my Jesus? I remember going to J.C. Penney. I, I, I was probably six. My older brother, Brett, uh, he's 16 months older than I am. So we went with Nanny to J.C. Penney, and Granny Jenkins came along. And uh, we, we went J.C. Penney. We walked around there in, in, in uh, J.C. Penney in Knoxville, and, and uh, we, we, we looked, and Nanny bought Brett a shirt and bought me a shirt. We didn't even have to share a shirt. That was great. We shared most things back then, but, but y'all know how it is, right? I mean, y'all remember how it is? I mean, my, my brother and I, 16 months apart, you get one shirt and you share it, right? It, you wash it in between. Anyway, we were living high on the hog, and that day, Nanny bought Brett a shirt and bought me a shirt. That was very cool. And, but I don't really, I mean, I love the shirt, but what I remember is going up to the checkout counter. And I'm following Nanny up to the checkout counter, and she's there, and she's breaking out her cash, and she's paying, and there's my Granny Jenkins just kind of sauntering up. And, and again, four, all four nine of her. She'd go up to the counter, kind of, I imagined her looking over the counter on tiptoes. And she looked at the lady checking out, and she said, honey, do you know my Jesus? And that was awkward to me. But looking back, I thought, wow, what a woman. That's the kind of person I want to be. No matter who it is, I want to connect them to Jesus. I want to connect them to Jesus. Everywhere I go. What about you? The everywhere you are. 
And it might not be very far. You know, you're everywhere, maybe sitting in your house. But this week, you need to schedule a carpet cleaning. Or this week, you need to have uh, uh, the lawn service come. Or this week, you need to have somebody come clean the gutters. Or this week, you have somebody to come and walk the dog. Or maybe you pamper yourself and you call down to the uh, uh, Farm Fresh or wherever and you say, can y'all get me these items of groceries and then deliver them to my house? You seize an opportunity like that as they come. And, or, or maybe you, you, you have somebody come in and, and, and help you uh, uh, with rehab on a, on a reconstructed knee or hip. Or, or, or maybe, you know, whatever it is, Granny Jenkins, Granny Jenkins' mindset wasn't, I don't get to see anybody. Her mindset is, who do I get to see? So I can ask them, have you met my Jesus? You connect with people and you talk to them. I mean, we've got Facebook these days. And people, instead of ranting about fake news, how about telling people about Jesus Christ? Huh? Instead of, instead of forwarding the latest silliness that you got in your news feed, how about talking to people about Jesus? Have you met my Jesus? You see what I'm saying? Connect everywhere we go. The last thing that we learn, and, and this is from Granny Jenkins as well as First Church, is we got to share Jesus. We're not sharing a good time. We're not sharing a philosophy. We're not sharing an idea. We're sharing a person. His name is Jesus. They were scattered everywhere, telling people the word, proclaiming the good news. The word there, the message. What was the message? What was that message that they were sharing? It's that God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came and lived. And then he died for sinners like you and me. He gave his life to bear my burden. Jesus is the one who dies to set us free. Jesus is the one who gives us life. We have a message to share. Why in the world are we playing silly church games, playing these silly games where all we're thinking about is ourselves when we have a world going to hell? And we're sitting here singing kumbaya to each other, thinking everything's all right. God, help us. God, help us. You're sitting there and thinking all the religious things. Are you more worried about whether I'm wearing a tie than you are whether or not your neighbor's going to hell? What in the world is wrong with us? You see what I'm saying? There's an urgency, folks. We must have an urgency. 94 years old. Granny Jenkins is about to die. She knows she's about to die. She lines it up at the end of her life to make sure that she has people around her that she can ask the question, do you know my Jesus? She intentionally leaves this world 
with a passion to help people who are far from God find life through Jesus Christ. She was undignified. She was uneducated. She was a snuff-dipping hillbilly who had more courage than most of us in this room. We're dignified. We're educated. We wouldn't touch that snuff. Don't knock it till you try it. We have all these benefits that God has given us, and yet we're silent. We're silent. I would like to say it's because we're, you know, I don't know, I, more sophisticated? Really? I think it's simply that I'm just a coward. I'm just a coward. And there are people going to hell. And people living in hell. In this world. Living without hope because they're living without God. And we have the opportunity to help them find life through faith in Jesus. Will you go and ask someone this week, do you know my Jesus? Let's pray together. Here's the thing. I know it's hard. I do. I know, there's nothing easy about, about being courageous in the face of our fears. I, I know it's hard. And I, I don't want to give the impression that that. That it's, that it's simple or that it's easy. I, I know it's difficult. I, I know that it's challenging for all of us. But, but can I just tell you something? God, by His Spirit, will give us what we need to be obedient to the mission that He's calling us to fulfill. And so when we gather here today, especially right now, as we're, as we're evaluating and listening, maybe what, what God is wanting to do in this moment is just inspire you, encourage you. Maybe he wants to, to saturate your soul with his presence so that you live in his comfort. As you gather here, as we, the church, gather here, we have the opportunity to, to bask in the presence of God and to feast on his uh, on his strength and his courage. This is the moment as we worship him that he uh, overwhelms us with himself so that our circumstances have to, have to, have to uh, cave to the power of the Lord God Almighty who gives us hope today. And maybe that's what needs to happen for you. Maybe you just need to, in these next few moments, just... just Just bask in his presence. Find strength in his nurture. Be nourished by him today so that you are encouraged and inspired to leave this room. To share with someone else how that they can find life with Jesus. Lord God, in this moment...
in the midst of all the struggles that we're facing and all the pain that seems to crash around us like waves of misery, in the midst of all the turmoil and chaos that that we feel on the inside of us and, and even around us, oh God, I pray by your Spirit, will you just settle on your people today? And as we worship you in this moment, as we look to you in this moment, will you strengthen us? Will you, oh God, comfort us, give us hope, give us courage, give us the faith that we need to bring pleasure to your heart? Oh God, this moment is yours now. Saturate our souls with your Spirit's presence.